Welcome to the Kingdom is for Everyone podcast. This is your host, Matthew Hester, and this is the place to discuss all things righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to thank our Hester Ministries monthly support partners for your help in making this podcast a reality. Along with the other things that we do here at Hester Ministries, we cannot thank you enough for your support. If you'd like to be a Hester Ministries monthly support partner, uh, please go to hesterministries.org partner to find out more information. We're also so grateful you can enjoy this podcast wherever you love to listen to podcasts. With that in mind, please like, share, and leave a review for us. That helps us get in front of more people. Also, post a link on your social media outlets. That would help us get in front of more people. We want to get uh, to as many listeners as we can around the world. Also, please join us at our homepage for this podcast, anchor.fm slash the kingdom for, that's the number four, the kingdom for everyone. We have a message tab there, and we'd love for you to leave us a voice message or a question that we can feature in an upcoming episode of this podcast. Here at The Kingdom is for Everyone, we want you to be more than an audience. We want you to be a participant. Here we are at episode 10, and this episode we're going to call, Is God a Monster? And this is going to be piggybacking off of our last episode, where we started examining the role of Scripture in our lives and started looking at the consequences. You know, well, what is what is how I view Scripture? How does that impact righteousness, peace, and joy? Well, it impacts it a lot, because what we believe about God certainly impacts what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others. And if God has, um, what's, what's a way to put it? If God has a monster hiding in his closet that he lets out from time to time, maybe we'd feel justified in having a monster kind of hiding out in our closet as well. You know, even though it seems like Jesus cleared up a good bit of the problems that we face, we still all, we know, we know, oh God, he's, he's there are times, if you're not careful, he does turn into that almighty smiter and, you know, when his cup of wrath is full, you, you better be careful. And so we're going to address that a little bit further in this episode today on Is God a Monster? Before we jump into that, uh, I want to catch you on the other side of this 30-second sponsored break. Okay, we're back, and I want to just jump in right away into some verses that I believe will help us uh, when we approach the subject of violent depictions of God, God commanding, endorsing, slaughter, and things like that and then how we reconcile it in the person of Jesus. And so, really, Jesus is the plot twist. He is the missing information that we did not have along the way. And so he clarifies who God has always been. Because remember, Jesus is not separate from God. They are one and the same. And have you ever watched a movie before, and you believed something about a certain character in the film until it could be the last 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, New information comes, and you're like, oh, I was wrong the whole time. They're not a villain. They, they've been a good guy the whole time. I just I didn't have all the information. And so Jesus truly is the plot twist to the story of who God is, especially what we see playing out in the Old Testament in particular. And there are lots of verses that reiterate this. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, um, we also see that, uh, the, you know, the work of Jesus, uh, the work of Jesus, um, was, was something huge, you know, done for our behalf, uh, 
there's lots of depth to it. Isaiah 52, 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So we see, I mean, even at the surface level of the cross, right? It's, it's horrific. It's ugly. It's terrible. But you know what? I bet there are people listening right now that have a cross around their neck. Isn't that interesting? Jesus can redeem something that the surface level looks terrible and turn it into something beautiful. And that's something that he's been doing for a long time, even when it comes to redeeming his own, uh, our own perspective of the nature of the Father. We, he takes something at the surface level, we're confused, is this God a monster? And then he brings the missing information that helps us have a new perspective of the beauty of who God is. Because, again, Jesus is the final word, the first and final word on who God is. It's who God has always been, self-sacrificial in nature, right? Laying down his life for his friends. You know, John 15, 12, 12 and 13, my command is this, love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Uh, and I love First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so you're talking about the kind of God that will allow wounds to be inflicted upon him. That that does not jive with me. How, how about you guys? That It doesn't seem to reconcile with some of these images we see of, of God commanding armies to destroy men, women, and children without any kind of, uh, you know, discernment, uh, stone rebellious children, stone people that gather sticks on the Sabbath, and we're like, what in the world is going on? Or what about the entire sacrificial system that we see built uh, in the Old Testament? Now, again, God, he redeems that. He allows his nature to be seen and glimpses through it. A lot of that's what we call types and shadows of what would come. But then you see instances, even like in Psalm 51, you do not delight in sacrifice. This is David. Or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Um, God doesn't despise, right? Um, and so where did we get this idea that God wanted sacrifice? Hosea 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is, uh, this is beautiful, an acknowledgment of God rather than burnt offerings. And in 1 Samuel 15, the soldiers, again, doing what they're told to do. We took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Uh, and then I love Hebrews 10, which really is kind of like the final word in all this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And so... Again, the whole sacrificial notion, the, the, the idea that God wanted blood, I just have to imagine that uh, somewhere in that initial Adam and Eve encounter where, um, again, God provides the sacrifice. We often miss that. God did not demand sacrifice from Adam and Eve. He provided for them to cover their nakedness, the, the perspective of their nakedness. And maybe maybe it just started there. The myth started there. Hey, this God, he's really into sacrifice. And you see it modeled with Cain and Abel, right? And then by the time we get to Abraham, it's, I mean, there's 
multiple gods. There's human sacrifice. Abraham doesn't even flinch at the thought of what he thought was God asking him for his own son, right? Uh, And so it's pretty amazing that that's how far reaching the delusion was. And so Jesus comes, brings information that helps to redeem the nature of God. And so, um, you know, there, there, man, there's so many thoughts and places we could go in this. We're probably going to have to do a couple more episodes to really address this um, to, to help us along the way. But uh, I'll, I'll give you some other examples. So when we talk about um, Scripture being God-breathed, and I touched on this in the last episode, uh, breathe really means He allows, right? He allows the representation to be made, even if the representation is inaccurate. And again, why? And the simplicity of it is, you know, Scripture is God's story. He lets his kids write it, and we have perspectives about him that are skewed. Well, why would he allow the perspective to remain? Because he's working with us where we are to move us along from the place where we are in that moment. And so there really are two things that we see happen. Uh, And this is, again, the primary struggle is in the Old Testament covenant in the Old Testament, because again, we haven't gotten the plot twist yet. We have not gotten the missing information that brings the clarity needed. So you have two things happening. You have God acting towards man, and then you have man acting towards God. So this is a great way to remember this. How do you know God's acting towards man? Well, because it looks like the God that has always been, or for our purposes, it looks like the God that is manifested through the image of Jesus. So you can imagine the clarity. So here's an example. So when you start reading, and you're reading through the Old Testament in in particular, Nehemiah 9, verse 17, here we go. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds, which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. So that is God acting towards man. He's showing his heart. He's showing his nature. What do we see? Even though we've got stubbornness, we've got people refusing to listen to God, what does it say? God forgives, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and you didn't forsake them. Then we have these times, and there are many of them in the Old Testament, of man acting towards God. Listen, anytime man acts towards God, we go the route of violence. The end result of it is we want to crucify God. We want to kill him. And there are many ways God's crucified in the Old Testament. It's anytime where he's misrepresented, anytime where we are projecting our own ideas, our own demands of who we think God should be, And typically that's reflected in our own sense of justice, our own sense of riding the scales, our own sense of, well, taking matters into our own hands. So you got 1 Samuel 15, 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what uh, Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. This is an example of man acting towards God, projecting things on God that obviously do not look like the character and nature of Jesus. Again, something that you can try that I I find very helpful. Imagine in 1 Samuel 15, you take Jesus in the Gospels and put him right here. And imagine Jesus saying, hey, I got an idea. Kill all of them. Don't spare any of them. Kill the the men, women, children, animals. 
And you're like, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, then it can't sound like God either. They're one and the same, right? And so getting back to, there's a reason we're mentioning crucifixion here. The crucifixion of Christ on the cross is the supreme example of mankind acting towards God. Think about it. How does a guilty appearing, God-forsaken, crucified criminal become the definitive revelation of God for us? And so when we, appre- when we approach God-breathed Scripture, we should have the awareness that it was breathed in a relational rather than a unilateral manner. It not only reflects God acting towards His people, it also reflects God humbly allowing the foolishness and the weakness of His fallen and culturally conditioned people to act upon Him, thereby conditioning the way He appears in His written revelation. So, <laughs> therefore, so the degree that any portrait of God reflects the nonviolent, self-sacrificial, enemy-embracing character of God that was most fully revealed on Calvary, we should conclude that it reflects God acting towards his people. Um, again, that's that, like what I was reading out of Isaiah uh, 63. Uh, it's it's just, or, or did I read that already? Isaiah 63, verse 7. I, yeah, I will make mention of your loving kindness, O Lord, the praise of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindness. But to the degree that any portrait depicts God's character in ways that are inconsistent with the character he revealed on Calvary, we must conclude that it reflects God humbly stooping to allow his fallen people to act on him, thereby conditioning how he appears within the written revelation that he breathed. An example again of that. Again, God acting towards man, it looks like his goodness, loving kindness, mercy, and grace. Man acting towards God is always violence. It's always us attempting to crucify, or as Brian Zahn says, we are, we're attempting to engage in deicide, which is the greatest offense that we can commit, which is the killing of God, Deuteronomy 20, verse 16 and 17. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you will devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. So, with that being said, we can only interpret these Old Testament depictions of violence in this sin-bearing way if we place our complete trust in the character of God revealed on the cross. Because if we suspect that God has a dark side and is capable of doing the monstrous things that the Old Testament authors attribute to him, we will mistake the shadow for the reality. And we got Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. And Hebrews 10.1, for since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities. I know there's probably a lot of questions to continue with this uh, train of thought. We're going to have to end it here. I certainly have probably given us a lot to chew on. But with that question of this podcast, is God a monster? No, he never has been. Uh, mankind is monstrous. And we can project monstrous images onto an ever-gracious, self-sacrificial God. But again, the, the, um, the surprise plot twist, the missing information that we see in these depictions, they're personified in the person of Jesus. And if you can't reconcile what you, what you believe about God with the person of Jesus, you have every right to question it. You have every right to say, hey, wait a second, 
I don't care who said it. I don't care where it's written. If it doesn't look like Jesus, uh, well, then I'm going to side with Jesus every time. And I promise you that is the safest place to go. And I think that really helps us. It helps us with how we um, love people. It helps us with some, perhaps even some of the problematic questions others have. You know, there, the Old Testament in particular has produced so many atheists uh, in the modern day because, again, they cannot reconcile a God that we call an unconditional love, um, a God that's full of grace and peace, you know, until, until you set him off. And then, uh, you know, he'll open up the ground and swallow you whole. He, he will, he'll send storms to destroy you. He'll, he'll, he'll pull, he'll reach into his deep arsenal of um, major destruction and he will teach you what it looks like to resist his love, right? Uh, but that picture is not accurate. It is not who Jesus is. Okay, so we're going to have to stop there. We, we probably will do one more episode along this line, and then I really want to talk about grief uh, for a couple of episodes because it's something that's important. It's something that I've been navigating personally over the last year uh, connected to the loss of my father, and it's something that I don't want to, to miss. I want to make sure that it's something that we talk about because that certainly impacts the righteousness, peace, and joy that we experience in the kingdom of God. And so I, I want to go ahead and just remind you of a couple things. First of all, go to Hester Ministries, Hester Ministries. Ministries.org. Find out what we're doing there. Uh, I would love to be a part of one of your conferences or events. Uh, we're already booking into next year. Would love to serve you in any way. Also, go to PresentTruthAcademy.org. We'd love for you to be a student there. We have primary study tracks. We have a library of electives. We're about to wrap up our third year of studies, and so we've got three years. You, if you sign up brand new, you're going to have three years ahead of you of just going after things like what we talk about in this podcast and much, much more. Uh, again, I want to remind you to like this podcast, share it, leave a review. That helps us get in front of more people. I pray that you guys have an amazing week, that you are overcome by the goodness of God, that you have a fresh confidence in the love of God that cannot be taken from you. Remember, if the kingdom isn't for everyone, then it's not for anyone. God bless you.